Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 1, Joseph, an interrupted life. Ready for a little Bible study? We're going to be able to Matthew today. We're actually in Luke, making our way through Luke, but in order to make our way, we need to take a couple of side steps to make sure we're covering what we need to cover and uh, not leaving anybody behind. And we've been uh, a little excursion into the Trinity, a little excursion into the virgin birth. Of course, all these things are part of part of the story, but uh, make sure we get them all together, at least in our heads, uh, so that we can make good progress. And today, we're going to be taking a side step out of the story of Mary looking at Joseph. Uh, the book of Luke, does, or the, the New Testament, does not start with Mary's story. Mary's story is in Luke. That's three books in, right? Uh, the first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew. Matthew starts with Joseph's story. God starts the New Testament, the story of Jesus, with Joseph's story. Did you know that? Uh, he gets slighted a lot. What's your idea of your perfect Christmas? Perfect Christmas would be what for you? Somebody was asked that question. I think his response was classical. Here you go. It's a uh, lovely family, he said, uh, beautiful decorations, delicious food, um, perfectly selected gifts, and he also added, and children that know how to behave. <laughs> like a, that's my guy right there, right on that one for sure. Uh, if you've ever had a, I bet you never have had a perfect Christmas. Whatever you planned didn't turn out. It turned out good, but it didn't turn out the way you planned because because people are involved, right? You just throw the people or ruin everything. Just, just get all the presents set up and all the decorations, and don't let anybody go in there. That's the perfect Christmas. Uh, you would think uh, certainly that the first Christmas would have been the perfect Christmas, wouldn't you? I mean, Mary and Joseph and and it was indeed perfect as far as God was concerned. Of course, not missing a thing there at all. But I, I would suggest to you, not exactly the perfect Christmas for uh, Mary and Joseph. A lot of anxiety, a lot of legitimate fears, uh, a lot of discombobulation and confusion and all that. And we're going to be seeing that today. And, and uh, uh, so, so really, you know, even the first Christmas had the same kind of problems, you know, in some ways that we have, maybe, maybe more so. Uh, because our lives don't always run the way of God, I don't know if you know that or not, maybe this is the first time you've heard of that. People's lives don't necessarily run the way God wants them to, and because we come with our own agendas, when God comes with His will and His agenda, sometimes there's a collision. And the greater our determination to get our agenda accomplished and our will accomplished, the greater the collision. And uh, nonetheless, there's always going to be a collision. Even the heart that says, I want to do the will of God truly, is going to find a collision, uh, an interruption from God occasionally, just simply because uh, we don't always think the way God does. And such was, of course, the case, the collision that God, uh, of His will and His plan, as He ran into the plans of a young couple by the name of Mary and Joseph. And do you think that they had a conversation early on in their engagement where they said, wouldn't it be cool if you came up pregnant immaculately? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? I don't think they had that conversation. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were made second-class religious citizens for the rest of our lives because it's going to seem like you're going to have an illegitimate son and that I'm going to take a crazy lady in who claimed to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and who announced that by an angel? Wouldn't that be cool if we just had that story for the rest of our lives? That was not their plan, guys. That would have been a... That's crazy stuff. But that is exactly what God's plan was for them. And so God heads them off, if you will, in this collision of plans and designs and agendas. And 
We've already discussed in some ways the collision that happened in the life of Mary, of course, finding out that she's going to bear the Son of God. I mean, holy cow, that's, um, that's a collision of plans, isn't it? I mean, wow, your life is completely, utterly, forever changed, all for the good, but nonetheless certainly changed and disturbing, certainly, to say the least. But what about Joseph's life? We don't talk a lot about Joseph. Mary gets a lot of playtime, and I'm not saying she shouldn't. The story of Luke is, is, of course, told from the perspective of Mary, and many good reasons to think that he had personal interviews with Mary, and part of the, part of what the story that we get about Zacharias and Elizabeth and the cousins of Jesus and I mean, the giving birth to the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, and then Mary's uh, conception and the story of, of what happened there and her visit to her cousin and all that, uh, indicative of, of, of research, I think, I would submit to you by Luke himself, uh, looking into the early life and the things that happened prior to Jesus' birth. But, but again, uh, Mary, what about, what about Joseph? I mean, God chose to start the story of Jesus not with Mary's book. Mary, Mary's book is Luke. He started, he started the story of Joseph with, uh, sorry, the story of Jesus with Joseph's story. It's the book of Matthew. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, and so he starts off with a genealogy, but it's not Mary's genealogy. It's Joseph's. In fact, the whole first chapter is really a, a chapter about Joseph. You've got a genealogy all the way here in the first chapter of Matthew, right? You've got a, you've got a, you got the genealogy of Joseph all the way down from the first verse, all the way down through verse 16, which says, And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born the Jesus who is called the Christ. So let's, let's read about his story here. Verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he didn't believe her. Didn't believe her. You're reading that, right? He doesn't believe her. So it's true that it was she conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't believe her because you wouldn't believe her either, nor would I. So when an angel visits you and you're immaculately conceived, okay, well, you know, you've got to have her go check, get her checked out or something. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, didn't want to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Afraid of what? What it means to take Mary as your wife. We're going to get to that. So that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will be bear a son. And you, notice, not her, you, Joseph, this is important now. It's important because we listen to the book of Matthew like we do the rest of the Bible as Gentile readers. This is not a Gentile writing here, and he's not writing to Gentiles, originally at least. I'd say we can't read it and get something from it, but we've got to understand it from the Jewish perspective. Part of the Jewish perspective is when a Jew, like Matthew, says that Joseph is going to take an illegitimate son, at least to him, and going to name him himself, and that culture meant that man that names her is, her, is his father. It's, that's legal adoption right there. So again, Jewish culture, now you understand. So you, not Mary, not say Mary didn't have a say in it, Mary, she certainly did, but officially Joseph names the boy. You will name him Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And now all this took place, that what was taken, spoken by the prophet, through the Lord, through the prophet, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, no stutter steps. No, wait, wait, wait. 
No, let me pray about it, because that's not what God wants from us when he speaks to us. He wants you to do stuff. He doesn't want you to stew on it. When he speaks to you, that's his timing. Well, I don't know about the timing of God. If he's speaking to you, that's his timing. His time was, I gave you a message through an angel in your sleep. You get up right now and go in there and bring Mary to be your wife. And that's what he does. Joseph arose from his sleep, did as the angel Lord commanded him, took her to be his wife, kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name. Again, there he is. He names him, you see. It's an adoption thing. So it's going to be significant for what we're going to be considering today. So here we have Joseph. Joseph is the, the forgotten man of Christmas. We talk about the, the men of Christmas. You've got the shepherds, right? They get a lot of airtime. The shepherds watching their fields and the flock by, you know, by night and all this. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. The wise, three wise men, we don't know how many there actually were, but there was at least a hundred of them. We don't know. The wise men, okay. What about Joseph? Joseph is like this sideline. He's just like a tag-along. He's like, who's this man? Oh, his name is Joseph. Okay, anyway, back to what we were talking about. Da-da-da-da-da. And notice the story of Matthew, though. Mary, in this case, gets the honorable mention only. It's just, it's, the whole chapter is about him. The chapter is about his genealogy and about what happened. Again, this is the way God decides to start your New Testament, the story of his son. This man, Joseph, is significant, I would submit to you. And we've got no songs about him. We've got no cards, all kinds about Mary and all that Joseph and, I mean, I'm sorry, all that the wise men and the shepherds did, but nothing about Joseph, no cards, no poems. Not even the most well-known Joseph in the Bible, is he? And yet, again, I think we're a little off in that because he's the one that God chooses to raise his one and only son. I think this guy's a major player. In fact, I would submit to you a significant player. Of all the guys he could have picked and all the heirs he could have been born in, God brings his son to a couple and has him raised under the banner and the adopted son of none other than this man, Joseph. He's significant. Let's learn about him. What can we know about Joseph? Well, he's from a tiny backwater town called Nazareth. It's not on the way to anything. It's not from anything. There's nothing that goes on there. It's the same like your little hometown that nobody knows about except for you. Doesn't even have a stoplight in it. That is Nazareth. He's a carpenter by trade. We know that. He's a descendant of David. Genealogically, we just have his genealogy here in the first part of uh, the first chapter of Matthew. We also know that he is a man with very little means. He's poor. Whole life, he's poor. The move that he's going to make here, or that he makes here in the first chapter, seals his fate as far as his income level is concerned. Now. We know that they were poor because at the time, eight days after the sacrifice, eight days after Jesus' birth, they go to the temple to sacrifice, and they were required different sacrifices based upon their income level. The minimum that they could sacrifice was two turtle doves because that's if you could afford nothing else. Guess what they sacrifice? Two turtle doves because they could not afford anything else. So they're dirt poor, little couple. And, and as I said, he's going to seal his fate because he decides to take Mary in, and we're going to get to that. But th- this, is who, this is who Joseph is. He was a man, a poor man, uh, a little-known man. He's also a man engaged to be married. And I say engaged to be married, sort of. Because, again, we hear engaged, we think engaged in our culture, which means almost absolutely nothing. Does it not? I mean, what's the difference between engaged and dating? I don't know they like each other more, but can you break up from being engaged just like you can break up like you're dating? Yes, you can. I mean, there's nothing legally binding about it. If you made a mistake and gave her a ring, make sure you ask for it back. You know, other than that, (laughs) other than that, 
There's nothing, there is not a big deal. There's no difference between dating and engagement. There was a huge difference. By the way, no dating in this culture. There none. There's no taking them out to the movies or none of that kind of stuff. There was only engagement in marriage. The engagement, as far as we are concerned, legally was binding as marriage. The way it would work is, in, depending on how old the husband was, either his parents would get together with her parents. So the way, the way that they were married back then is that the girl was available to be married as soon as she could have children. So 14, 15, that's the age you're looking at, Mary. Mary, probably not much older than that. Maybe 16, but it's doubtful. Joseph, on the other hand, because a different age or a different, uh, um, a different force worked on him, he had to be able to support a wife and children before he was eligible to be married. How old is that? Some of your kids, 35, 40, I don't know how old. <laughs> you wonder still. <laughs> he just go out there and get a job. No, uh, you know... Um, he'd have to be, he's a carpenter, so he's got to be established in a business. You're looking at least 20, probably 25, maybe even older. There's another thing about him we're going to see in just a second. His classification, his status, also indicates he's an older man. So a 25-year-old marrying a 15-year-old, and it's not bad. I mean, I, I'm a father of two, two daughters, and, and you want to marry my daughters, I want to see your paycheck stubs from the last year. <laughs> I want to see your insurance I want to see where you've been investing in retirement. I want to see the plans you have for me to take me fishing and hunting and all that stuff <laughs> submitted in triplicate for myself, my wife, and for our lawyer, you know. Um, I'm, I, I think this culture didn't have it all too bad. I think it probably had it pretty, pretty correct. So, so the parents would have drawn up the legal document, and probably in Joseph's case, he's already 20, 25. He didn't, parents, he could do it for himself. They would sign it together, or they would seal it together, or however they put their imprimatur on it. Whatever they did, as soon as they did that, they were considered engaged. It's the, the, the document carried the same force as our marriage license. To get out of it, you had to be divorced. It's a legal document. It required, you had to have it in order to transfer properties to who saw, who inherited who, stuff, and all that kind of thing. It's the same as our, our court system. Our, you know, you got to get a marriage license. That's why they make you go through all that because it determines who inherits stuff and who has a right to stuff if you ever split up or whatever. And it's the same kind of thing. So, so this document they would have signed together and then they would have been at least a year without being able to come together. One year at least, not even being able to be alone. Not even once. No chance that Joseph would have ever had a chance and Mary to have a chance to have a child together, okay? It's in this year period... When they're not able to come together, that she comes up pregnant. That's a problem. That's a massive problem. So, it, again, during this year period, if he dies, they still haven't come together, she's considered a widow. And again, to get out of this stuff, you have to be divorced, even though we haven't come together for a whole year. That's exactly right. That's the way it works. So Joseph is a righteous man. Let's back up for a second before we get into this problem, because he's got one. But you need to set a stage here for what's happening with him. It says here he was a righteous man. You read that, right? Joseph was a righteous man, it says back there in verse 19. Being a righteous man. Now, what do you hear when you hear righteous? I hear that he's a good man. I hear that he can be trusted. I hear that he's honest. I hear that he's a godly man. I hear that he's, he's a reasonable person, that, that he's trying his best to follow God. I hear all that. And I, I'm saying, not saying that that isn't true, but you're not hearing it like a Jewish person would hear it. Matthew's a Jew, writing to Jews about a Jewish man. When he says righteous, 
He's talking about a particular status level that Joseph has, has achieved in a Jewish culture. A righteous man in Jewish culture, which is what Joseph is speaking of here, is a man who very particularly would have been marked as a, with a status level of, of being uh, known to be uncompromising with regards to the law of Moses. You have to live a while, by the way, to get that done. So it limit, it probably not 17, okay? At least 20, 25 years old. He'd have to be established in some sort of business in order to support Mary and a family, right? He'd also be, have to be established in the eyes of the community in order to get this status level of called a righteous man. To be known as a man, you've got to have years to do that. As a man who follows the laws of God and does not compromise. That's a status level. That means he did not eat unclean food, he stayed away from uh, bad people, he closed his shop on the Sabbath, that sort of stuff. You'd have to have a, a string of time to be able to give, be given that kind of status. Do you follow me? So he's already achieved that, so life's rocking along according to his plans. They're not bad plans. So get a legitimate job have a legitimate business, be able to support a wife and a family, have a status in my culture that says this man does things the right way. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything is clicking together. Now he's engaged to be married to a pretty young thing in his hometown. His family has known all these years. Everything is going according to whole. Christmas is going to be perfect for them, right? Well, they didn't know Christmas was coming, so that's the change in plans. So he would have been known for this, he would have been known for the status. He would have been in a position that he held in the eyes of the community. He would have been looked up to. He would have been a person of respect and influence. Again, it betrays his age. He probably would have been older, not a teenager. Mary would have been, but not him. Joseph is, was a righteous man. He was also a righteous man with a big problem. So everything is perfect up to now, right? My life is going the way it ought to go, speaking for Joseph. I got my business. I got my social status. I'm doing things right. I'm trying to honor God with my life. I'm dating this, well, not dating. I'm engaged and officially married, effectively, to this young girl. Within a year, we're going to be able to come together. We're going to start a family. Everything is going to go the way it ought to go. And then, boom, she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. So, wow. He's got a problem. He's got a problem on several levels. First of all, he's committed heart and soul to this girl. And then secondly, he's also committed heart and soul to what the Bible says about people who are sexually promiscuous in that culture. Notice, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. If we enforce this rule today, we would have a lot less people, <laughs> wouldn't we? You must purge the evil from Israel. Again, he's known as a righteous man. He knows what the law says, and that's what it says. He's an educated person in the scriptures. He knows this. He's got a problem. And, and in addition, she's maintaining this wild story that an angel's come and spoken to her, and that she's immaculately conceived. Who believes her? Not Joseph. Not her parents. So not only, and she's, he, I, I, do you see anything in here about him being angry with her? He's trying to be as kind as he can to her, put her away quietly. I, I think I, I read into that, and you can take it forever you want to, but I read into that, he believes that she believes her story. He, he knows that even though, you know, 
esta loca, she's crazy, but she believes it. She actually believes it, doesn't she? She's not lying to him. But obviously, women don't come up pregnant without a man, but that's what she thinks, and she really believes it. So he's trying to, oh my goodness, what do I do? His whole world is rocked, it's turned over, and he doesn't, he doesn't know what, the thing, what thing he can do. And, and, and can you imagine how she pled with him concerning her innocence? Joseph, I'm telling you, an angel came to see me. I've not been with anybody. He doesn't believe her. She's sincere, but who would believe her? His life was perfect up until now, and then now, wham. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't deliver him from that dilemma, at least not at first? So, so Mary gets it preemptively, doesn't she? So nothing's happened to her, and an angel shows up in a room and says, you're going to become pregnant, and it's going to be the Son of God, and it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, so, and then she becomes pregnant, right? Well, then she becomes pregnant, and she goes and tells Joseph, and Joseph doesn't get an angel. Joseph hadn't had an angel prior to that and said, by the way, Mary's coming by tomorrow and tell you that she's pregnant and you're going to be cool with that and you're going to get married. That's not how it works. He gets on the horn of a dilemma, does he not? He gets put through stress. He gets put through trials and head scratching and worries and, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I can't believe this has happened. And life was going perfect and sleepless nights and all the stuff that comes along with it. We don't know exactly how long, but he had been contemplating this apparently for a while. And and uh, again, why does he? I don't think it's quite fair. Do you speaking for all the men in here? So you go to send an angel to Mary. Why don't you send her to Joseph at the same time? He could have done that. I mean, he's already down there, right? They're in the same town. The town's no bigger than this room. I mean, you go see Mary over there and Joseph over here on the same night. Couldn't we get that done? Why does God do it? Why does it front loaded for Mary and Joseph doesn't get it until on the backside? Why does he do it? Why does he do that way for you? Does God tell you everything he's going to do before he does it in your life? Tell me neither. Most of the time. Sometimes I get a little indication. Most of the time it just happens, and then later on I find out why, or never, maybe never. Depending on what, and God's got, that's his prerogative. He can do what he wants to. But it doesn't seem quite fair that, that, that Mary would get it and Joseph wouldn't. And then Joseph's struggle was in, indeed hers, because like I said, she's all by herself. Not even Joseph believes her. It's not like she's got an easy road here. So yeah, she's gotten the story from the angel straight from God. That doesn't make her life any better. It just makes her relationship with God good, but everything else is bad. And it got, got way worse. So, so she, she's failed in convincing him. And Joseph is struggling with all this. And there's lots of anxiety and fear going on here. And God couldn't stop it. God, I'm sorry, could stop it. But at least initially, he does not. So God is the cause of his anxiety. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it true that God wants to get rid of all of anxiety in our lives? I wished. Let me make a suggestion to you based upon Joseph's story and many other stories in the Scriptures. Could it be possible that anxiety, the removal of anxiety, is not God's number one goal for us? It is our number one goal, is it not? And whatever stress in me, I want it off of me sooner than later. Immediately, yesterday, I want it done. That is not necessarily God's goal for my life or yours. You see, isn't God able to remove the stressors? Isn't God able to fix the circumstances? Isn't God able to fix the, change the circumstances and fix the situation? Isn't he able? But he's not doing it. Why? I don't know. But can we all say he's not? Can we all agree with that? He's able to stop it, but he's not stopping it. And thus, I'm in my current situation. So here's a word for you, word from Joseph. Maybe he's got something more for you. 
Maybe there's something going on that's bigger than you're getting over whatever's pushing you down. And here, here's, here's the story for Joseph. Could it be possible that Joseph, just like us, his disequilibrium was permitted to bring him to a new level of growth? Could it be possible that that's also true for the same disequilibrium that you're experiencing, whatever it is? Stressed and, and, and tried and, and troubled, and, and yeah, maybe you can put your finger on some things, but there's some things you can't, and, and you don't, can't make it go away. And so what do you do? Well, you don't just sit around and try to figure a way to get it undone. How about step back and say, God, what do you have for me in this? What, what is this that you're not stopping this? And so tell me how I can be the person that you want me to be in the process, the current place where you have me today. I suggest to you that's a very good prayer and stance to take. So Joseph was a man, righteous man. He was a righteous man with a problem. He was a righteous man with a problem whose life got interrupted permanently. Permanently. So he's rocking along with his own agenda. And it's not a bad agenda. He's going according to plan. He's established his business. He, he can support a wife and family. He's engaged to this lovely girl. He's gotten the status of a righteous man. He's, he's permanently interrupted from that plan. He never gets to go back to it. Anybody here younger, older than 20, whose life is exactly where you thought it'd be right now. I want to meet you, because you're something else. The young ones think that life's going to go the way they think, and we can all sit up here as adults and say, sorry, sweeties. Wish we could tell you that. But if you do trust God, you'll find out you've got a much better plan for you than you'll ever have. We can say that for certain. I know we've got a, test, a room full of testimonies to that effect. So, so God's plan often is like that. Your life is headed in one way, and God rearranges, and by exercising his right to be God. Is that okay? Is that okay? Is it okay for God to be God in your life? It really needs to be okay. It needs to be okay for God to interrupt you, because that's what it means to be God. He doesn't do it arbitrarily just because I'm going to show him that I'm God kind of thing. No. He does it because you're, you're headed in a direction. He's trying to point you in the place where the most blessings are and the most grace and the most everything that he has for you. That's what he's trying to do. So yeah, Joseph gets his life interrupted, and so does Mary. And it doesn't go the way they thought it, but the way that it went, holy cow, here we are 2,000 years speaking about these two, two people. They're not in heaven right now mad about it. I can promise you that. In the short run, they were upset. But in the long run, no. That's the way God's will always is. Go with the will of God. It's going to be contrary to what you thought. It may wreck some of your plans. In fact, it most certainly will. But nonetheless, that's the direction you want to go. By the way, speaking of unplanned, you know what's on the altar of sacrifice here, right, for Joseph? His status. That's the big deal. So I've been working. I've been doing things right. I've been dotting every I and crossing every T. I've been doing everything that I can. I've established myself. I've established my business. I've established a reputation in the community. Reputations are hard to get, hard to gain, easy to lose. Now, if I, by the way, and that's not, that's not just everybody thinks I'm a good person. That's also income. So I'm the local carpenter, and I have a status as a righteous man, and you're another carpenter in town, but you have a status as being a, eh, I don't know if you've ever done things wrong in a small town, but it's over with for you, my dear. Over. Everybody knows you. They will never forget you. You do one person, you change your tire wrong in a small town, and that is it for you. You don't do that. 
You better do it right every time. The only time you're going to ever do any better than that is you move to a big town where you can move somewhere else and get a different reputation. But in a small town, your reputation is everything. He stands to lose it. And in no sign of, again, anger, he, he doesn't believe her. He thinks she's crazy. I can understand why. He doesn't, he, if he doesn't put her away, he will definitely lose his status as a righteous man. His reputation will forever be smudged. What does he do? Well, he's contemplating that very thing. And then verse 20 says, the angel comes in and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary. What is he afraid of? That's legitimate fears. Loss of income. Loss of status. What else do we have, really? Really a loss. Of, I'm losing my job. I'm taking on a wife and apparently a kid, and now I don't have a job. Don't be afraid, the angel says. Why? Because he had legitimate fears. But here's what we need to know about Joseph. All Joseph needed to know was what God's will was, and he moves. Now, that's a great man. See, problems and stresses don't define us. They just reveal us. And we say the, the problems and stress, they define you. They don't define you. They tell you what's really going on inside. So he doesn't, we know from his action here, he doesn't have a veneer of righteousness. It actually is deep in him. He actually is a man who, when he knows the right thing to do, he does it, and no matter what anybody thinks. How do we know that? Because look at what he does. I mean, he truly is sacrificing all of his status and everything. Joseph was a man who sacrificed for the sake of God's plan for his life. He just did so he immediately weds Mary. He takes her home, protecting her in the process from all the reprisals, all, of, all, the, all the accusations that get her now come against him. He takes on all of her stuff. In that culture, you didn't go talk to the woman. You talked to the man. So if I take in a woman like that, everybody, like I said, everybody thinks, you know, esta loca. Everybody thinks she's crazy. They never think she's not. They think this child is illegitimate. They never think he's anything other than that. Their whole lives... This is a status he adopts from the beginning. It's, for, it's not just for Mary and, and Jesus. It's for Joseph. He knows that. He's not dumb. He knows it. He's the one who names Jesus that tells us there he does that, which means he, he adopts him himself in, in that culture and day. So all the grief he bore, he was known forever uh, the rest of his life as someone who gave up his righteous status for a wayward girl and an illegitimately born son. That is Joseph. That is him. And since that time, that's the sacrifice that he made for this, for this process. That's what he was required to do. That's what God asked of him. And since that time, millions of people, listen, have sacrificed for the sake of this one born of Mary. In fact, I would submit to you, that is the Christian life. You want to, what is a Christian life? It's giving up my life for the sake of his call and his cause. Again, I urge you, Romans 12. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, hasn't God been merciful to us in sending his one and only son to die for us, to live and die for us, to pay for our sins, considering the mercy of God on your life? Offer your bodies as, living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Are you worshiping God? Truly? Properly, it's going to be sacrificially. Joseph is not unique in this because every time you come up against the plans of God as opposed to the plans of men, there's going to have to be a sacrifice. It's not I get to keep all my stuff and do the will of God. No, 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 no. You won't miss that stuff. 
Do what God tells you to do. Joseph and Mary are examples of that. Joseph and Mary, reputation and their family, by the way, I've said already, is permanently altered. They permanently become second-class, religiously speaking, citizens. Never again do they achieve status. They can't. Look, I mean, how do you change the circumstances? How do you change what's happened here? How do you change the fact that I've taken, he's taken this girl in and her, her seemingly illegitimately born son? You can't change that. God had a reason in all this, and even the painful start for this family. God's son grows up in a, if you will, spiritually second-class home. Who does Jesus reach when he comes into his ministry? The spiritually second class, the fishermen, the, the, the prostitutes, the, the uh, tax collectors, the, the zealots, the ne'er-do-wells, the outcasts, the religious, uh, righteous, uh, according to that culture, uh, elite. They kill him, don't they? See, Jesus was put into the class of the same class he's reaching. He became one of us. You see, Jesus came to save sinners. So if you don't think you're a sinner, Jesus is not for you. He came to save sinners. And he was at least classed that way in that culture. And God still calls people, listen, to be willing to die to their reputations, to their statuses, to their comforts for the sake of his will. It is the Christian life. And, and the the righteousness that Joseph thought he was losing when he wed Mary and took Jesus to raise is uh, brought into this world and raised a son who would bring a class of righteousness into the world, right? Unlike anything the world had ever seen. Righteousness up to this point was a matter of the do's and the don'ts. Either you do or you don't. You keep the rules or you don't. Jesus brings a righteousness that is no longer by what we do, but is through faith. By trusting him that Jesus has been righteous for us. That his death on the cross, his sacrifice becomes a payment for my sins. It's the only way to be righteous. It's the only way there ever was. God doing that for us. So that apart from works, now there is a righteousness that comes by faith to, as the scripture says, to everyone who believes. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter who you are. God is accepting everyone who would accept his son as personal savior. Have you done that? Have you done that? What a great example we have here of the way to do it when God interrupts our lives. What do you do? You get up and go with him. Don't fight. You don't balk. You even come to Joseph and the angel says, I need you to pray about taking Mary as your wife. No, you take her as your wife. I need you to pray, Mary, about possibly conceiving the Son of God. No, you're going to conceive the Son of God. In both of these, Mary says, Be it done unto me according to your word, to the angel. Joseph, we don't have a word in the Bible from Joseph. We just have actions from this guy. He gets up immediately. He takes Mary as his wife. He names this son. He raises him. He loses his status. They're poor people for the rest of their lives. Who cares? Who really cares? Because it won't matter a second. It wouldn't matter a second after they're dead. What matters is what they did. And they did it right. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said through. What a great man. A quiet man. I said no words from him. New Testament. A man of action. Are you that kind of person? A person of action? Are you the kind of person who in your heart right now would say, if I know what God's will is, I'm going to do it. That's what God's looking for. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for you to figure it out. 
He's not looking for you to know how it works. He's looking for a willing heart that says, I will do what God's calling me to do, whatever that is. God's got a right to interrupt my life. God's got a right to change my priorities and my goals. I just want to honor God with my life. I want to do something that matters, that matters not just in this life, but in the life to come. I hope that's your prayer today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are worthy of all those things, and that you don't just come and arbitrarily do stuff to prove that you're a God because you have nothing to prove. You come to us, Lord, with, with the only agenda that matters, your agenda, and you ask us to get on board. Lord God, I pray that we would have the hearts that would do that, that we wouldn't resist you, that we would hold on to you, God, and do what you say. Lord, I pray that when things go beyond our reasoning and our understanding, that we would still say, God, whatever your will is, that's what we want. Thank you for these two who didn't understand everything, didn't ever understand everything. But what they did understand is that you wanted them to do something for you, and that's exactly what they did. Thank you for their example, Lord. Help us to follow it, I pray. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.